Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, I'm Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. And that's what being an everyday innovator is all about, creating products that customers love. I'm currently on a tour through the northeast of the U.S., visiting product managers and innovators. On my way, I stopped in Minneapolis, and I found an incredible innovation case study at Deluxe Corporation. You'll hear from Chris Clausen, executive director, of how this company that is more than a century old avoided being disrupted by embracing innovation. He'll share why they had to innovate, how they discovered the new product and market opportunity, how they decided what to build and why to build it, make those buy versus build decisions, and that the innovation was viewed by many in the organization as cannibalizing their main business. So there's a lot of resistance to it. Much in the same way that Kodak viewed work on digital cameras as cannibalizing their core business. Lots of parallels there, only this is a success story. And also, we'll learn how they use customer testimonials to sell the innovation internally and really create a success. It's a great story with many lessons. You'll find the written summary of the discussion with Chris at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 194. Please check out those show notes. Also, I want to tell you about the fastest growing conference for software product management, and it's coming up really soon, October 2nd and 3rd, 2008. And you still have time to register. It's called Industry, and they have several product experts to share their insights with you. A lot of the names that you will be familiar with by listening to this podcast, because I've already been guests here, and we have a discount for you. They have extended a discount for everyone that registers using the code Everyday Innovator. That's all one word, Everyday Innovator, 30% off. And you'll find all the details for the conference and how to register at industryconference.com. Just remember to use the code Everyday Innovator for 30% off. Now to the interview with Chris. Chris, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate it. We are back in Deluxe Corporation's corporate headquarters. Yes. In the St. Paul area of Minnesota. And my first time back here. And the reason for coming is I have been a big fan of the small business revolution and did an interview on that previously. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. People should definitely listen to that. And you should check out the smallbusinessrevolution.org and see uh, what goes on there. It's a wonderful story about the difference Deluxe Corporations are making in small businesses around America. And also with me is Jenna Paulus. Hi, Jenna. Hi. Jenna's been involved uh, somewhat with the Small Business Revolution work. And can you just give us some insights? Right now, it is towards the end of July. Listeners are probably hearing this in about September, actually. So some time has gone by, Everyday Innovators. Jenna, what would we be able to expect come September from the Small Business Revolution? Um, Yes, so the Season 3 of Small Business Revolution will begin airing on October 4th on Hulu and smallbusinessrevolution.org. And this season, we're in Alton, Illinois, which is one of the larger towns that we've ever visited during the Small Business Revolution. And there are about... 30,000 people in the town, so it, it will be an interesting season to see how we weave our small town Main Street show into a bit of a larger town this year. Excellent. I, I can't wait. We have the opportunity to stop in Alton near St. Louis and meet some of the people who had applied for the Small Business Revolution. Then I guess filming started just a few weeks after we had left. And 
looking forward to seeing what actually takes place in the show and who who gets helped. And then I can make a road trip next summer to actually meet those people. That would be great fun for me. Great. Jen, thanks for the update on that. And maybe we can get back to you and, and do a discussion about what actually happened in town. Sometime. Yes, perfect. We love that. That'd be fun. Okay, Chris, we have a product story to tell. And I love a good product story. Tee this one up for us. First, this is connected to Deluxe's history, which is checks. That's right. Right. And uh, and it is, to get back to the small business revolution, is one of the things I love so much about that story, which is a company who is, what, 100 and how many years old now? Um, the 100-year anniversary was in 2015. So yeah. So we are 103. 103. 103 years now yeah. old. And when someone says Deluxe Corporation, at least three years ago, yeah. uh, which is when I first kind of came on my radar, I thought about checks, right? I knew the company was right. that. But I love the story so much of Small Business Revolution on how you're not only helping these small business owners, but also rebranding the company in the process in a really powerful way. As such, you've been looking for new opportunities for serving customers. So give, give us the quick summary of the product, and then we'll kind of get into the backstory. Sure. So our deluxe e-check product is our answer to um, the changing face of payments in the United States. Um, just about anybody who has made a payment themselves in their personal life has a appreciation for technology and how technology can change the payment experience. We've all seen in our personal lives how it's much easier to make a payment today than it was mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Well, on the business, I, I maybe side, write yeah. a paper check once or twice a year. Doesn't exactly, exactly. So on the consumer side, that experience has dramatically changed. Yeah. On the business side, however, checks still continue to uh, form a cornerstone of how payments are made. Mm -hmm. And what uh, what we saw was that there was an opportunity to make a change to the check. Our e-check product basically allows all the benefits of a check payment, but it allows us to actually send that payment electronically, and then the check gets printed on the back, back end by the recipient. And the simple act of creating that process flow provides all kinds of benefits for the person sending the payment as well as uh, the person receiving the payment. And so that's a simple look at the product. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, you can also embed choices for the recipient. So you can begin to add other forms of payment into the payment experience, the business payment experience, and give all the parties involved choices without changing their underlying operational processes. And you can do that in a way that allows you to send remittance data and all of the key elements that are so essential to an effective business payment. Mm -hmm. We can harness the power of the check to do that and still allow for those things to happen. So the product at a glance is really simple in nature. It's just a check. But and just like its name, it's yeah, an e-check. It's, it's an, an e electronic version, a virtual check until it gets printed. That's right. And then it's a and check. Simplifying a lot of things, including, you know, for me, it would be bookkeeping, right? Just to That's right. <laughs> keep track of things better. Excellent. So let's talk about the product story a little bit. Sure. What was going on in the marketplace that led to even thinking about this as a problem that someone needs to address? Deluxe was able to see what happened on the consumer space, right? Sure. Um, in consumer payments... You saw a bunch of new payment technologies come in and disintermediate some of the traditional payment methods. Mm -hmm. So as you said, people aren't making payments by checks. And so we had that example out there. Yet on the business side, Deluxe still had a very healthy book of business and still does today uh, of business payments that are being made by check. 
But yet we wanted to be ahead of the curve in terms of understanding where the market was likely to go. Mm -hmm. And as technology has advanced, we have been looking for the right combination of product features that would allow us to uh, offer our business customers. Deluxe does business with more than 4 million small, medium, and large-sized businesses. Mm -hmm. Most of them are buying checks from us. We want to make sure to offer them compelling product solutions that meet their needs, but yet are innovative and uh, uh, allow the customers to take advantage of that technology as it comes to market. So we had a rather large set of motivation, selfishly speaking, to make sure that we didn't get disintermediated. There's right? an opportunity for a real disruption here, it, right? Very and much your so. check business could disappear, it, yeah. even though businesses, you know, as consumers, it is completely different, right? Right. Like you said. Correct. Uh, businesses don't typically PayPal money to each other or no. even do a visa because those fees tend to be a large amount. They do uh, that add up quickly for checks for money that needs to transfer. Well, and a lot of the consumer solutions that are out there weren't designed for business process flows, so they didn't account for some of the underlying needs that businesses mm. have, and that's largely why you haven't seen the kind of adoption rates on the business side as you have on the consumer side. But we knew that some of the technologies that were at play could be beneficial to businesses if those needs were accounted for in the product design. Mm -hmm. And um, as we were uh, surveying our existing customer base, one of the questions that the entire industry would ask is, why are people still writing checks when you've got these great payment products that are out right. there? And so we went out and talked to the businesses and uh, did a quite a bit of proprietary research on what were the underlying motivators that were causing uh, business owners mm -hmm. to continue to issue checks. Um, and what we found is there's actually 10 criteria that were driving that. So oh, it wow. was more complex than what uh, casual glance at, at the payment space would, would tend to indicate. And what we learned is that those customers expected that any innovative product that was brought forward to them could provide all 10 of those value propositions and add some additional ones on top of it. So when we were evaluating a future state of, of our product offering, we realized that whatever we evaluated would have to meet all of those 10 criteria plus bring some additional new value propositions. Mm -hmm. And so what that allowed us to do is survey the landscape of what is available against this matrix of requirements that the customers have. And there were very few out there that actually checked all those boxes. And then also checked our own boxes for profitability, brand permission, customer understanding. Our, our distribution channels had the ability to mm -hmm. understand and sell them. So to check our boxes and the customer's boxes, that made it a very narrow set of products. And that's how we got to where we are today. Okay. Just to dive in a little bit on the 10 criteria. Sure. Not what they are specifically, but how were they uncovered? What was, so, you know, when people say we wouldn't talk to customers. Yeah. Lots of ways to do that. What, what did right. you actually do? So we actually used a combination of traditional product uh, approaches. So we started with quantitative research. So we're talking to large numbers of customers to start to zero in on some of those key elements. But 
quantitative it, research. Was that to identify customers really to talk to in more detail? Well, or? It, it's both, what, it, but also them? to get some key learnings about their behaviors. So okay. what they've was tried. It was surveys, right. Largely uh, proprietary surveys where we'd mm-hmm. go out to existing and uh, non-deluxe customers. So we wanted to capture both our existing market footprint as well as growth areas. Yeah, which is a really smart practice, which sometimes researchers and businesses miss out, right? We just talk to our customers as opposed to talking to who we probably would like to be customers, customers. which is maybe our competitors' customers, right? Exactly. You know, people that aren't using our product right now, but maybe would. Exactly. And, you know, we have a large installed customer base, but we nowhere near cover the entirety of the market. So we knew there was opportunity there. Payments is a growing space, actually. It's growing at 4% a year. So Mm. we knew that there was growth opportunity within the customer base, but if we could materially improve our addressable market, this would be a really compelling value proposition to Deluxe. And what I can tell you is because we took that approach, our addressable market is now double what it was prior to this offering. And that has gotten a lot of attention within our senior executive team and within our board as Mm -hmm. we take this story um, to market. It's why we've been able to get the support we have. Awesome. Which is a quick story there that I just want to emphasize for everyday innovators, which is as product managers, we tend to be a really small percentage of an organization, right? But we're really huge lever points because if a product group can start generating significantly new revenue or attract new markets that we haven't before, this is what executives really care about, recognizing that we are these big levers and having visibility into the executive team. It's really helpful for everyone involved. It's good for our careers as product managers, uh, and it's great for the organization as a whole. And really, it was foundational to our to our story as to how we got uh, this product to market was by leveraging that addressable market mm-hmm. story and really articulating how we would uh, be able to to um, enter those spaces and how we uh, you know the solution that we were advocating for would actually differentiate us in those spaces and uh, that was a key part of our go to market strategy and the sales story internally. Checks are not necessarily the sexiest story out there, but there's an underlying strength to the product solution that we've brought to market because we went through this process of evaluating the customer needs. So Mm -hmm. as we were talking about, we did the the quantitative survey first. You know, we did a number of those to kind of zero in on that, but then we did qualitative uh, interviews, in-depth interviews with these business owners, because a lot of them are not payment experts. They're not going to parrot back what those 10 items are. We actually have to distill them, right? So those interviews were crucial to our ability to codify the requirements that we were going to have to meet. And it was the combination of the qualitative and the quantitative mm-hmm market research that we did that allowed us to really settle in on what our requirements were. And that's how we got our strategy in place. And it took some patience on Deluxe's part to let us do that the right way. I bet. I was going to ask you about that. First, I want to ask you about the those interviews. Just mm-hmm. how are they structured? Was this, you know, two interviewers to a someone in a company? Did you go on site? Were they by phone, by web? So, um, we actually used a couple of different methods because we got different information mm-hmm. from the methodology. So in some, we were doing direct one-on-one phone interviews. 
uh, with uh, myself and and uh, members of our uh, market research team. In others, we employed a third party to conduct a panel interview session. So hmm. we would actually bring five or six businesses into a room and actually interview them because what we learned is they would key off some of the words right. that each other was using and you could tell when they were hitting the right choice of vocabulary and words. And that really helped us zone in on um, which ones were resonating and which ones weren't. And then once we kind of identified what those were, we validated that by going back out on a quantitative perspective to make sure that we had hit it correctly. Mm -hmm. And what we're finding is that particularly in the financial services business, that research very few people have done that hmm. with that type of focus. And so those learnings, even today, you know, five years later, um, we're still getting asked to present those, those research findings at industry conferences and at um, some of the, the key market uh, influencers as they try to create their own strategy. They're relying on our hmm. research to, to, to um, inform them. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. As part of that, were there any user observations, ethnographic research, watching you know in their facility how they actually handle the checks and process them? Through our uh, years of being in market, you know, as you pointed out, yeah. we've been in market 103 years. We have a pretty good understanding of the operational processes that relate to the checks. Okay. The good news that we had here is we also had internal expertise on some of the other operational processes that businesses use. So we relied very heavily on our understanding of those business processes and how they worked, how businesses work with accounting software, how they actually handle AP and AR. So we relied on a lot of that expertise. But in certain market verticals, particularly around medical insurance payments, property casualty mm -hmm. payments, we actually have done some on-site process observations where we watch their process flows because they use proprietary systems. They're, they're a little different from, you know, the mass of uh, small and medium-sized businesses. So uh, they're a little more specialized and we'd spend a little more time with right. those. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to the everydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. The everydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. There's kind of like uh, walking the tightrope here that you are wanting to innovate yes. for the customer and mm -hmm. make it easier for them to deal with checks. Yep. You know, can we bring an, an e-check capability to them to do that? Right. And at the same time, not be disruptive to their existing workflow 
you know, not move to a whole new platform, right? right. It's not like checks, you know, 4G, 5G, right? That's it's right. something that's completely different. One of those pre one of the first things that became apparent is anything that caused a major disruption to their to their AP or AR process was pretty much a non-starter for them. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to invest time and calories in redesigning that process because businesses don't necessarily see the value in that. They're not in business to be AP or AR experts. They're in business because they have a passion about something. And mm-hmm. usually it's not about payments. Right. So the last They like thing getting they the payments. Do, yeah, very much so. <laughs> they like getting the right. payments. They don't like making them so much. But, um, you know, the last thing they want to do is invest a ton of time in back office operations. And so that was one of the criteria is don't disrupt me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the, the general rules that we try to follow is innovation without change. Mm. And that's challenging, you mm-hmm. know. Um, can you present a product suite where the change is either so minimal that it's pal- palatable or there is no change? Right. What we see in the market is a lot of uh, competitors are looking at where they want the businesses to be 10 years from now instead of how do you get them from where they are exactly. today to where they yeah. need to be. And the solution set that we have in market, we believe, is a minimal step forward. And it's just enough progress to make a good value proposition, but from a change perspective, it doesn't require Mm -hmm. massive rework. So instead of asking that customer to go 10 steps from where they are today, they're going one or two steps. And that's why we're seeing the adoption rates that we've seen. I bet. And for every innovator, this is a really smart strategy that always needs to be considered is anytime that we can work into the existing workflow of the customer the easier we're going to make it on them and the easier it is for them to adopt our solution. This is not unlike a Kodak story, only Kodak blew it, right? Yes. You know, Kodak had the disruptive technology they created in the form of the digital camera and never had any path to migrate their business to it. And Deluxe what, has to know paper checks at some point are going to go, you know, go the same way as right. largely as film cameras have. But you have a path to be getting close to the technologies solving problems for the customer and moving towards whatever that, that new platform might be in the future. That's exactly right, Chad. It, you know, the way we look at it is Kodak actually had some of the first digital picture technology. They had the original patent. Right. And I've talked even the last couple of years to people that were on some of the imaging teams that says, we have technology in the medical arena for imaging that still hasn't got out in the market that was so far beyond what they were doing. Exactly. And so when we told the story to our senior leadership group and we, we pitched them on the strategy, one of the things that we said is we can go acquire the um, digital picture technology, the digital check capability, but we have to be prepared to actually take it to market right at the same time mm-hmm. and not sit on that, you know, because another strategy would be you could continue to buy and kill right. competition, but that, that's got a very narrow end game strategy there. There's someone in a garage Correct. who's going to figure out a way that's to right. pull your customers away. So one of the things that I love about Deluxe Leadership and about our board is that willingness to cannibalize yourself before mm-hmm. you somebody else comes and takes your lunch. And what ended up happening is within that actual strategy, we not only can take our existing book of business and transform it, but we can also use that to grow into new markets. And so this is actually a growth story and not just a pure 
uh, defensive strategy. Yeah, but because there's definitely a cannibalization aspect of this, right? Without a doubt. If this is an e-check opportunity, your existing customers are going to say, oh, well, that looks more appealing than buying checks from you. That's right. Um, so talk about the internal, you, before you talk about having to sell this yes. internally, right? Yes. Talk about that process, what some of the big factors were. Our executive team got it very early on. We were able to make a pretty compelling case by showing the addressable market and the opportunity. And one of the ways that we proved this out is we actually piloted the solution in one of our distribution channels to show that customers would buy it, that we had the ability to sell it, that it was a good brand fit. Our senior executives got behind it pretty early on, but there was a large segment of the deluxe employee base that we had to get on board with it because there was a lot of questioning about was this the right strategy for deluxe um and you say that very kindly yeah and i can imagine there's conversations over the water cooler like why are you trying to put us out of business that's right deluxe is about checks that's right and we've gone through multiple stages uh as the customer base has grown to embrace this it has made it easier in terms of internal selling. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we thought was very important early on was rather than having the product team talk about the benefits of this to internal team members, we would bring the customer stories forward. And Mm -hmm. so the customer endorsements are actually really important when you're transforming a legacy business like this, because that's your ultimate proof point. Rather than me having to convince my marketing uh, counterparts and my ops counterparts and my sales counterparts that this is the right path. One of the things we did was we, we let the customers do it in their own words mm-hmm. and uh, brought those stories forward. So those early adopters are really, really important, not just to prove to other customers, but also in a larger setting like this to prove internally to your, your counterparts mm-hmm. that this strategy is the right strategy. It's not just, the right strategy because the senior executive team buys into the dollars and cents behind right. it, but it's also good for the customer and it, it makes sense and we can do this. Mm-hmm. I would say we are three years into our, our story and we've largely got the organization on board at this point. You know, people understand the opportunity. There's a lot of willingness and excitement about how else can we take this to market? Mm -hmm. What other ways can we talk about it? And I think you're seeing Deluxe become more and more willing to talk about this strategy externally now, which in the first year, let's see how this kind of plays out. (laughs) So, you know, and as a product executive, my goal is to add as much fuel to the fire and grow it as much as possible. And so the more we talk about it, the easier that job is. Mm-hmm. And I'd say about a year and a half in is when we hit that flexion point where it, it felt like um, the the momentum started to grow. You know, customers were informing team members, team members were informing customers, and, you know, the ball started to get rolling. No, no insignificant change management issue there, right? No. It, well, it, you know, I, I I talk about it like, yeah, no problem. But, you know, we're a 100-plus-year-old company with thousands of employees. And, you know, to get the team all pulling in the same direction, to get millions of customers understanding what we're doing and, and realizing what we're doing, that that's no small task. Mm-hmm. And the good news about Deluxe is it's such a – cool place to work from a, a perspective of having tremendous resources to make that change a reality. So 
as I've seen this story advance, I've seen the power that a company like Deluxe can bring. Um, you know, everybody talks about how easy it is for startups to be nimble and to make change happen, but they're missing a lot of the, the muscles and the bones that it takes to actually make true market change happen at mm-hmm. scale. Deluxe has just the right mix of willingness to undergo that change with the expertise and the muscles to actually make it a reality. Yeah, I, I did not realize as we started this interview that this was such a kind of transformational story. Right? It is. Um, yeah. th- th- this is a Kodak story with, it is. with a positive outcome. It's almost right? a perfect parallel. Yeah, it is. In that um, yeah. It, is it deserves its own documentary to you know <laughs> dive into this further. So hopefully that will be coming out yes. in some mix yes. of things. Yeah, I, it'll um, be fun. That, that's very good. The yeah. um, And just to tie up the, the product story, how sure. was it developed? It sounds like this was a, a product acquisition. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we looked at is buyer build. You know, we looked at what our strengths were, some of our growth areas were, and what we realized is when you're bringing a digital product to market, there's some very specific expertise that you have to have in terms of the development and build. Because I was very active in the industry groups, I was able to keep tabs on both the new-to-market innovators and some of the, the startups mm-hmm. that were bringing new technology solutions to to play, as well as some of the bigger players that had off-the-shelf things that were ready to go. It was really important to Deluxe to chart our own path, so we didn't want to partner with somebody big who had the development capabilities. Internally, we're not a, at the time, we were not a nimble dev shop. That was not where our bones were made. We had uh, strong distribution capability, marketing capability. I mean, the, the small business revolution tells you what Deluxe mm-hmm. can do all by right. itself, right? But in terms of, of true uh, technological ability, acquisition was the right approach. And mm-hmm. so there was a small company out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. The guys had figured out how to bring an electronic delivery of a check to market, and they had a solution that was in market, but it was still in its infancy. So they were actually the perfect partner. And initially we were debating whether to partner or acquire, Mm -hmm. but it became very clear that acquisition would give us an additional set of resources to bring to bear. So we made the case internally to acquire them. And actually at that point we had senior management bought in. We had great support for the acquisition. We acquired the company and as with any other acquisition of a small startup, you had people who were used to small startup culture, and that's what they were seeking. And then you had some that were actually well-positioned if, they, if, if we handled the transition correctly to actually stay and help us build the business. Mm-hmm. And we were very fortunate. A big part of my team now is a combination of both legacy product people and people from the acquisition that we actually were able to bring together as one team. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend it because you get really good, diverse perspective, different skill set, uh, different understanding, and um, we can translate for each other across the cultural divide right. as you speak. Yeah, um, you're adding a lot of diversity in thinking. That's, to that's the, right. To Very much so. You know, we acquired them. Um, Deluxe is now 
had this solution where it's wholly owned and operated by Deluxe for about two years, mm -hmm. and uh, it has worked out great. Um, Excellent. Congratulations yeah. on integrating the cultures, actually leveraging yeah, the very difficult the to do. Of the startup. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 without you know causing those people to run away. That's right. That's right. Well done. As listeners know, I love a good innovation quote. Okay. I uh, was going to ask you for one. What do you have for us? It's more of a philosophy than a quote, really, but it came out of our, our customer research, and that is if we can accomplish innovation without appearing to force change, we will corner the market. And that is what we believe we're on a path to. We have first mover advantage, what we're doing, and our customers are very appreciative of the lack of disruption. And it allows us to really package up some cool things mm -hmm. um, without having to force the paradigm shift. That being said, even the, the change that we are causing in this is still something that we have to, to overcome. But our goal is to keep that change as minimal as possible you know, in the business space, at least, it works quite well. As we were chatting before, you phrased this as innovation without change. Yes. Which I shared was an oxymoron. Yes. Uh, but I understand the context for it now. Correct. Right, right? Without changing the customer's workflow, their environment. That's or, right. And, uh, and satisfying them, adding more value to what they're yep. doing. In some respects, it's disguised innovation, which means you have to really be good with your right. value propositions, right? Yeah. So that's that's been a big part of our journey, and you know we've had a good response at this point. Excellent. If listeners want to uh, just contact you, find out more about Deluxe, what, uh, how can we do this? Uh, there's a lot of different ways, Deluxe.com. They can also look at Deluxe eChecks if they want to learn a little bit more about the product. Yeah, um, any special spelling with eChecks? Uh, it's E-C-H-E-C-K-S. Okay. So... You put those two words together in your search bar, deluxe and ecx, and you will you'll find you'll it. find us. Okay, no problem. Good, and I'll make the links easy to find in the show notes as well. Absolutely, Chris, I appreciate your time and the information. Jenna, thanks for the overview on small business uh, revolution. What's going on there? Follow up with you later on that too. Yeah, perfect, great. Thanks, Chad. Thank appreciate you. your time. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you found as many insights in that innovation story as I did. It's a really valuable story with practical lessons for us. Anytime we're doing a new product and especially encountering resistance in our organization and having to deal with that fear of disruption and how to address that and not be disrupted in the marketplace. Also note that this is the Everyday Innovator you're listening to. This is where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products that customers love. Please check out the summary of the discussion with Chris at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 194. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.